0: you're listening to the medic materials podcast hosted by mike turek paramedic and educator with over 10 years experience every month we review actual ems calls with the help of current practicing ems providers bringing educational opportunities directly to the listener portions of the calls have been altered to protect the privacy and identity of those involved
1: Hello and welcome, everybody. I call you my squad. I am Mike Turk, and this is the Medic Materials Podcast. And this is the first episode of a long list that we're going to be doing. It is a once-monthly podcast coming out on the first of every month. If you are a subscriber uh, to the uh, the medicmaterials.com page, you will get it on the first of every month. If you are not a subscriber, but if you follow the uh, Medic Materials uh, EMS uh, Facebook group, then um, you will be able to have access to each and every podcast on the third of every month. So make sure to go over to www.medicmaterials.com. Go all the way down the page and just type in. It is completely free. Type in your email address. And uh, you will have free instant access on the first of every month to this podcast. So you'll be able to listen to it before everybody else. So I want to introduce myself. My name is Mike Turk. I'm I'm a New York State paramedic of uh, 13 total years of EMS, three as a paramedic, seven as a uh, EMT basic and three as an intermediate or advanced EMT as they call it here. Um, I am also a uh, EMS educator and a uh, avid fisherman, and I just wanted to start this podcast so we can you know, have group discussions, and I'll be pulling in my group for the inaugural episode in just about a minute. Um, I wanted to start this podcast in conjunction to having the Medic Materials YouTube channel and the Medic Materials Facebook page, and just being able to disseminate EMS information whether it's call reviews and you know educational opportunities, or just you know reviewing old uh, old information that we might have forgotten as providers, or helping out new EMTs or new paramedics, you know navigate the world of uh, EMS education, and uh, and that's kind of where this whole birth started. So we're going to be talking about a really interesting call today in the review, uh, and uh, I'm going to uh, you know leave that up to the guys and I to uh, to break down. But, uh, I hope you guys enjoy what the, uh, what the podcast is going to be. And I hope you guys enjoy where it's going to be going. And, um, now let me introduce you to our team. First, I'm going to bring over to, uh, Shane. Shane, say hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, you are a, I, I'm, I guess I'll let the cat out of the bag that we are all New York state, uh, providers. I won't let the cat fully out of the bag to wear. Uh, but, so how long have you been a provider not counting your junior years? 10. Okay. Cuz it's like 18 if you're with pro- like No, 14. 14, yeah. Okay. You're only one over me with junior? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm just old enough to be younger. That's creepy. You're welcome. <laughs> um so you are a New York State paramedic. Um, I'll pass it over to our resident EMT, uh, Justin. Hello. Hello. <laughs> we, on a good day. Yeah, we caught him on a good day, and uh, I, I, I literally always make fun of you, so I haven't made fun of you today. Thank God. Thank God.
2: <laughs> Shane took care of it already.
1: Okay, well, the day is young. Uh, we still have about 40 minutes of talking here for something to get into. So uh, the last one is uh, my very good buddy Gerard over here. Gerard, say hi. Howdy. Um, Gerard is also another paramedic. How many years? Five? Three years as a medic. Three years as a medic. And three years as an EMT. And three years as an EMT. Okay, so you're up to six. So combined, we got to... A good chunk of experience sitting in one room. Um, so today I want to talk about a, a subject matter that I don't think we talk about enough and that is prolonged extrication. And we're going to do a call review here. Uh, Gerard's going to walk us through it. And I just want to set the stage. I'll kind of break in when, when we have some science to talk about here and there. But Gerard's going to run through the call. So think about this system has uh, a transporting ALS ambulance with staffed in one EMT, one paramedic, uh, a supervisor in an ALS fly car, paramedic level also showed up to that scene. We had uh, fire department first responders there to do the fire department operations side. And I believe that was all of the providers that were were there on that scene um, other than air medical, which brought the flight nurse and the uh, flight paramedic there as well. So Jared, I'm going to turn it over to you. You kind of set the stage to this call and I guess we'll just talk about it.
0: This is basically a large commercial vehicle rollover. Uh, with entrapment. Uh, The driver was the sole occupant and uh, the vehicle uh, departed the highway and rolled completely upside down. Came to rest inverted uh, in a like a drainage ditch. So the transporting ALS agency arrives on scene a few minutes after the uh, first responders from uh, from fire they they had arrived uh, in their personal vehicle. The ambulance crew um, Approaching the scene, you know, sees this this large vehicle upside down. They see the cab of the uh, the vehicle uh, is in some pretty bad shape, um, crushed. Uh, the sleeper portion is folded back, um, uh, almost pretty much parallel to the ground. Uh, paramedic sees the uh, first responder on the other side of the, uh, the vehicle, uh, on the other side of the ditch. Um... Uh, Inquires as to, you know, do you see anybody and they say Yes, they were actually talking to somebody on that side um, Verify that is there anybody else? No, it's just the one occupant So the paramedic makes his way around the uh, the backside of the uh, the vehicle uh, Came up on the ditch side uh, His EMT partner stayed on the the roadside um, Come to find out they're There is just one uh, argument. It's a driver. Uh, He is trapped. He's complaining of uh, his leg being pinned around the left femur area.
1: I I just want to cut in to you guys and just ask, in in hearing the setup of this scene, what is going through your mind? If if you're, you know, paramedic and EMT walking into the scene going, okay, what am I thinking of now at this point?
3: At this point, I'm trying to be figuring out the initial extrication thought process. Trying to get the right resources started on the road. Any additional ALS that may be needed in case RSI is going to be in, is going to be needed, and also doing the mental picture of: Am I going to need the helicopter, or am I going to be able to do this on the road? Figuring out mileage and time to the nearest trauma. Right,
1: and and in this particular uh, case, we have a you know a local hospital you know, 15, 20 minutes down the road, but you also have a level one uh, trauma center, medical center, 15, 20 minutes in the other opposite direction, okay? So we're kind of equidistant. We can make our transporting decisions at that point. This crew uh, ultimately did, you know, utilize the air medical, and uh, I believe there was a reason behind it that uh, Gerard will get to.
0: The crew, while the ALS crew was still en route to the scene, um, the dispatcher uh, had inquired about uh, necessity for, for air medical uh, resource and uh, based on what was described uh, just from the dispatch. And know I me mean, personally, I'm always inclined to uh, go ahead and launch. And if uh, if they're not needed, we can go ahead and cancel them. But if they are, then they're already... You know, we're already cutting the... Uh, it's better uh, to have them and not need yeah. them than need them and not have exactly. them. Exactly, and, and, that, and, that's, and that's, that was the mindset of the crew as well. They, they went ahead and told the, uh, uh, the dispatcher to, to go ahead and launch the helicopter, which turned out to be a, a good decision later on. Um, so with the paramedic on the one side, the MT on the other, uh, fire was just starting to arrive uh, in force. The vehicle seemed stable enough to at least get under it to make contact with the patient. Um, the patient who was originally in the driver's seat had ended up partially in the, the, the sleeper portion and the way the sleeper portion had broke off and laid parallel there was a large opening on the top of it but this was also underneath the rear uh,
3: drive wheels of the, uh, of the vehicle. So is this completely on its roof? Completely on its roof. upside Is this a snub? Is this a snub nose trailer, or is this like um, one of the long ones? This was this had a dolly
0: because it was oversized load carrying the big uh, uh, concrete uh, pillars for some project down south.
3: Okay, so you're saying this hole is accessible from underneath, or from
0: underneath? It? There was no on top. The paramedic had to shimmy under the rear wheels, the drive wheels. Where the, you know, the the, uh, the hookup point was. hmm And get between that and the sleeper, which was now flat, and that little opening, he was right there. He was just kind of sitting, you know, laying flat on his right side. For just visual purposes, how big do you think the hole is? Uh, three feet. Okay. Maybe three by four, something like that. Okay. Um, about the size of a small window. Um... Contact patient. Contact so again, it was a it was a it was a judgment call because there had been no stabilization. Fire was just getting there, uh, but the patient was was speaking, and you know it, it was deemed uh, just to go in and take a quick look that uh, it was worth the risk. So um, paramedic went underneath, made contact with the patient, uh, did a quick you know uh, initial assessment. no threats to airway, no threats to breathing, patient was breathing just fine, verified he had no allergies, wasn't taking any medications, uh, no other medical conditions that we had to worry about at that time, Uh, verified that his leg was, his left leg was uh, pinned between something. Uh, He said it felt like it was around his femur. Um, So as fire started, you know, showing up and actually trying to get underneath as well, Uh, paramedic uh, retrograded out from uh, underneath until fire could stabilize uh, the vehicle and then while this was happening while they were putting their stabilization jacks underneath uh, the paramedic supervisor arrived so we had more assets uh, arriving you know by the minute fire basically took over uh, that portion of the scene uh, i would say probably about took them 10 to 15 minutes to to stabilize as best they could with uh, with some jacks, um, the you know the vehicle. Uh, during that time, paramedic briefed the uh, supervisor, uh, advised that uh, you know to keep the air medical coming. That uh, you know this was probably going to be an extended extrication, and that they would be needed uh, on scene. Uh, at this time, the second ALS ambulance from the same agency arrived on scene to back up. Uh, the first crew, and yeah, about 10 or 15 minutes later, uh, the chief said that the jacks were in place. Uh, the paramedic then uh, went back under the vehicle, reestablished contact with the patient, um, and at this time, uh, established IV access uh, in the left arm, right arm, uh, right AC with an 18 gauge. Uh, started fluids flowing um, at this time there was un- there wasn't enough room to get in there uh, with the monitor and, and get vitals so uh, going on just the mechanism uh, and what we're dealing with and what we might be dealing with uh, uh, paramedics ran the fluids wide open at that time and then once the fluids were done everyone was made aware that uh, you know there was now a line in place please be, you know, be aware that this is here and don't accidentally hit it and rip it out and uh, that's when the paramedic had his EMT partner, uh, placed a C collar on the patient, finished a quick uh, secondary assessment, uh, looked for, for any other um, injuries, you know, was he feeling any more pain in places he hadn't been before, anything new, you know, that he's feeling now, any sensations. Uh, the only thing was, he said, was his leg was feeling like it was getting numb and that his right arm was starting to feel numb, which it was the arm that he was laying on. So that made, you know, perfect sense. Uh, and at that point, the paramedic had to, the, once again, retrograde out from the, the, uh, the wreck and let fire take over and do its business. And at this point, um, one of the, the assets that the paramedic had underneath the vehicle was uh, one of the uh, firemen on scene, was also one of the experienced EMTs that works at the same agency. He was just on his day off. So he was one of the firemen that was working underneath. So he had a reliable source of information that he could, you know, gain if he needed to ask a question about, uh, you know, what's going on with the patient. He could trust whatever was coming back to him. Uh, it wasn't just, you know, somebody he didn't know or anything like that. It was it was a it was a trusted source. So that was a, that was a good asset to have.
1: I I, I want to pose the the thought process. It, we're say 30 minutes or so into this this vehicle extrication and this patient contact at at this point in time uh with this paramedic he's he's 30 minutes in on scene and they're just now setting up extrication we know that it's going to be a while right and ultimately this was almost a two hour long extrication and and you know gerard will get there um to you guys, let's let's think what with what Gerard is laid out so far. What are you guys thinking clinically? Like legs pinned, arms numb. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of complaints other than mechanism looks bad, right? Um, but what are you thinking as a provider or you know a clinician? Going okay. We started line. We got fluids going. We don't have a set of vitals. He seems you know alert and oriented. But what are we thinking might be the issue here. The very first thing is, if you're saying the leg's pinned,
3: I want to be concerned of a crush injury and anything leading towards Rabdo, rab- because that that's going to be the biggest killer that he has. On top of, you know, we don't know what caused the crash. Did he have a sinkable episode? Did he get stung by a bee and have an allergic reaction? Obviously, we'd notice that walking in having contact, <clears throat> but we don't know if he may be, you know, the sinkable episode mostly. Mm-hmm. I mean diabetic, heck it could
1: have been di- cardiac related or anything related. Diabetic you know? emergency. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and I could agree a with seizure. All, I and I agree with all of those points in that, you know, the, the most thing that we have to worry about is the potential, you know, and and the crush injury, because we don't know how long we're gonna be here. Right? This this paramedic said it was about two hours, but with the size and scope that we're dealing with, it might've been six hours, right? Uh, if it was any one of us. So, uh, I, want to hear a little bit about the fire extrication side. What did fire do and how did they execute some stuff? Justin, you have, uh, you, you spoke to some of the providers, you know, from that fire department. What, what did they kind of say was their, uh, thought process in the extrication?
2: Well, initially, command arrived on scene and stated the vehicle needed to be stabilized. When the first heavy rescue arrived on scene, they grabbed rescue jacks, cutting tools, basically anything, cribbing, Airbags, anything they could use to stabilize this vehicle and make it safe for EMS to EMS and fire to basically get underneath the vehicle and figure out a way to cut the patient out. 30 minutes into it, command requested a second heavy rescue to the scene with all the same equipment to be utilized for extrication and more stabilization of the vehicle. It was then when command and firefighters on the scene realized after being underneath the vehicle that it was going to be an extended extrication because of the amount of time it was going to take to make certain cuts and be careful about it due to the location of the patient in the vehicle. And having to relay things back to EMS while cuts were being made. And making sure that the patient wasn't being injured from falling material from the vehicle as it was being cut. So it was it, it's, a, it's a hard process to have to be involved in a high mechanism extrication like that. Uh, from the fire, from a f- firefighter point of view,
1: and and it's kind of that slow, steady, methodical pace. Like we we've established, the providers in this call are going to be there a while. Mm-hmm. Right, they're all dedicated yep. there for as long as this takes. Let's sit. Let's figure out a plan. Right, nobody had to sit there and scream, "Hey, Captain, let's get a plan together and let's go." No, the right. plan Exe- the, the basic, that- basically
2: the plan was executed on the fly.
1: And and that's and
2: ideas were being thrown out while crews were under the vehicle making cuts. Different ideas, different way, things to do, different ways of potentially getting the patient out whether it was going to be from the roadside of the vehicle or the Grass side of the vehicle.
0: Yeah, like initially, the uh, uh, I can tell you firsthand that uh, yeah, the the paramedic involved right until the very end was under the assumption that uh, the patient was going to be backboarded out on the roadside uh, until the very very end, and all of a sudden it just it became obvious that the easier path was coming out on the ditch side, Um, and then you know, and I think that's one of the most important things that was noticed uh, on of the fire um operation was uh, that nobody got set in their their thought process and became you know immovable from their their idea of what to do it was you know it, for, it appeared to be that you know they're gonna do this we're gonna do that we're gonna do this hey you know what this is a better idea let's do this instead and and, and there was it was just that, that fluid motion that um, it, it, I've seen where people can get set just so set on you know this is how I'm going to do it and we're not going to deviate from this plan, and sometimes that works, sometimes it causes more problems, uh, you know, than does good. This time it it, it was it worked out perfectly. Uh, they didn't uh, you know they didn't just get set to one idea and one idea only. It was it was very fluid and. Again, you know, right up to the very end, it was going to be a roadside extrication. Last minute, hey, better shot this way. Let's just do it this way. Uh, and that seemed to be, uh, that was just one of the things that uh, that was noticed.
1: At, at this point, Gerard, I want to fast forward a little bit because now we're we're knee deep in extrication. And the, the paramedic at that point cannot further access his patient. Um, no vitals are being taken. You know, fluids are still running. Uh, we're getting relayed information from from fire. So now, what is the thought process of this paramedic um, in regards to do you know the helicopter was called? Are they there? What are are we giving any medications at this point other than the fluids? I mean, we're still thinking of that. You know, rabdo. Uh, at this point were possibly 45 minutes to an hour uh, inside of extrication and this patient having a possible crush injury so are what, are what are we now thinking do we are we going down the the bicarb route are we not going down the bicarb route at this point in time
3: before you go on it was is you are you able to access the pinned extremity at all visualization palpation not until they made the final cut then it became obvious
0: what could and couldn't be done with that extremity.
3: So essentially, is this patient laying supine on the roof of the vehicle? What on the roof of the vehicle, on his right side
0: with his right arm stretched out like Superman.
3: Okay, What and what is there on top of him? Is it, a ch- is it the chair? Is it something that was inside of the cab? I believe it was one of the seats. Uh, and then some of this, just the structure that
0: that collapsed in.
3: For, all right, from intrusion Correct, from yeah. the from the collision. Correct. Okay, thank you.
0: Okay, so yeah, so now we're we're about about I'd say 45, 50 minutes in. Um, again, having that firefighter EMT that was a familiar quantity was uh, was very good to have because you know the paramedic could call in, hey, how's he doing? What's going on? EMT would you know report back he's doing okay he's still talking to us blah 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 blah, um, so it was a good reliable source of information, even though the the paramedic couldn't be down there physically to to you know do an ongoing assessment of the patient, um, you know made sure his mental status was was still you know intact and and uh, you know any changes in sensation or pain or anything like that, uh, so about 45 50 minutes in uh, air medical arrives on scene. Uh, they're briefed as to what's been going on. Uh, just prior to them getting there correct, the paramedic decided that, you know, the most important thing to worry about at this point was the rhabdo, uh, the crush injury, uh, you know, and having that reflow if he does become uh, uh, extricated. So paramedic had already pulled an a bicarb and was prepping it. When the uh, air medical crew showed up, uh, gave them a brief, uh, briefed the flight nurse, and flight nurse uh, agreed and said, uh, you know, usually it's, uh, they wait for about an hour uh, at least before starting any kind of uh, bicarb therapy. But again, they saw when they got there, you know, even at the time they got there, that it was still going to be an extended extrication, uh, that the on-scene time was still going to be uh, for a while. So uh, at that point, because the flight crew has a higher level of care, uh, or they bring a higher level of care uh, to a scene, uh, they operate under a different protocol than, uh, you know, than, than street medics. So uh, an Amplify card was infused in a thousand bag and hung and began infusing
3: and uh, is there a time frame was there a drip rate that you are aiming for or was it just getting it in in a, an effective but slow manner
0: they weren't cap- they weren't counting drips but they uh, uh, they had the paramedic uh, set the, uh, the tensioner to about half or they were getting a you know not wide open but not not TKO so okay uh, just a nice slow drip uh, keep it going throughout the whole thing because you know, at that point they didn't know when
3: uh, the leg was going to be freed. Was there accessibility at that point to consider no. put... no oh, I'm sorry. So, go go <laughs> I thought you were talking about the leg. No, I was you know, saying there. at that point was there any chance of maybe putting a tourniquet on that extremity even at just below the waist?
0: Not at that point but what did became possible because fire was cutting uh, they'd already removed a lot of the structure was we were finally able to get the patient on the monitor, uh, so the patient was hooked up. Having the EMT down there, none of the flight crew or the paramedics had to go back under, uh, you know, and, and again risk their own safety. That EMT firefighter, you know, knew the drill. It works with all of them, so was basically handed all the, the tools and said, "Here, you know, do, do your thing." Uh, so we put the entitled capnography on, hooked him up to the monitor. They got blood pressures, they got heart rate.
3: Do you recall if any of those vitals were were if they were, you know, normal or
0: all the vitals were initially were stable baseline were what you would expect for somebody, you know, with, with a large commercial vehicle on top of them. Uh, slightly hypertensive but nothing to write home I believe the first BP was 140 over 90. Uh, 95 heart rate, not even tachycardic, but you know, not 75. And title was appropriate. And title was exactly appropriate with good waveform. Um, so it was deemed that, you know, the course, best course of action, keep the drip going, and that we would, we would go down the bicarb route, you know, as necessary.
1: Making that bicarb decision is a smart idea. I want to jump down the rabbit hole of Rabdo here for a second and just talk about, you know, we've been throwing around Rabdo, 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 but what exactly are we worried about in Rabdo? And. We kind of have to explain exactly what it is and that we're worried when muscle breaks down because it's not getting blood flow, right? It's not getting that oxygen rich blood. It's getting, uh, it's not being able to remove its waste because of that crush injury. We're now having muscle breakdown. It goes from aerobic respiration to anaerobic respiration. You have a bunch of lactic acid being built up. You also have cellular death, which now is, you know, flooding all of that extremity with sodium, potassium, creatine, um, myoglobin. That's the big one that we're worried about that and potassium are the two that your biggest worry, uh, for re-entry into the system. And we're worried about that myoglobin solely because of the kidneys, right? Um, myoglobin is a, is a, is a protein strand that, uh, stores oxygen in, in muscle tissue. That's what makes your muscles red. Um, but it's also very large molecule. So when there's a lot of it, it binds up the kidneys and the kidneys can't get rid of it in large quantities. So then you have renal failure at that point. Uh, the potassium. We're worried, you know, this paramedic was smart enough to say, hey, EMT, put them on the monitor, keep running me strips, making sure that we're not having a potassium overload here where, you know, we're going to see, you know, elevated T waves or peak T waves or, you know, widened QRS waves. And we're worried about potassium for MIs at that point or other cardiac arrhythmias. And I think it was smart to have that bicarb Drip, especially because we're not sitting there every half an hour pushing fifty milli equivalents. You know, it's it's there. It's going in. Carry a hundred, right? And we and and right in this area, they only carry a hundred. So now you're going, hey, supervisor. I need your ALS bag, or hey, second paramedic that showed up. I need your ALS bag at that point. Um, Hopefully,
3: Air Medical maybe has a concentrated version due to their specialties.
1: Right, and and that's you know all all things that we're thinking about in these types of situations. Is you said what other resources am I going to need in in this where this call happened? They have the ability to call for doctors, and I and I do believe that. That crossed that paramedic's mind. Is that not correct, Gerard?
0: Yeah, correct. So, when, uh, literally, when air medical first got there, they or one of the things that was discussed uh, after the drip was started, uh, they literally they literally said uh, that they were just going to use um, the the ground medics equipment and and medications and stuff unless they ha- they had to go to theirs, um, so I, I, like you said, I, I think what they were doing is holding back the big guns, letting letting the ground crew do their thing, and then if needed, they could break out the heavy stuff instead of just going right to the heavy stuff, which I think was a, a good idea, a good plan. Um, it's and, a great
3: demonstration of showing unity. Yeah, we all have specialties. Even us on the ground, you know, the people up in the air. Yes, they've done their groundwork to get up to where they are. Mm-hmm but they're not doing it regular anymore We're us we're doing it regularly working with firefighters, working with fellow first responders, working with our EMTs to bring them up to an amazing competency level yeah. that it shows you got to rely on each step of the rung to get the job done correctly.
0: Yeah. And it, it really turned out to be a, an unbelievable, um, cooperative effort. Uh, the air medical crew, both the, the flight medic and the flight nurse routinely consulted with the ground medic, um, uh, what do you think about this? What are you thinking about? You know, and, and back and forth, you know, forth, uh, vice versa, and, you know, coordinating with the uh, – bringing the fire guys in as well as to what, you know, the, the mindset was, what the game plan was going to be. Uh, so everybody was on the same page. Um, and, you know, if anyone had a good idea, hey, uh, let's do it. Uh, in fact, one of the thoughts was um, potential for crush injury – you know, paramedics in this state—I don't—I don't think any any part of this state they carry insulin, right?
3: No, it's not. It's Northern not in state. any of the collaborative,
0: right? So, the thought process was, hey, we might have a crush injury. Maybe it'd be a good idea to get a doctor to the scene because we're going to be here a while. You know, the, that was their that was their thought process was you know they were going to be stuck there for at least another hour, or so might be a good idea to start getting the wheels turning for uh, getting a physician to the scene with. Uh, Um, you know, with, with
3: uh, basically glucose and and insulin so they could work their magic. Um, And just for a reminder on the ground, the trauma one is 15, 20 minutes away. So with the doctor coming out of that emergency room or out of the local area where they live, we're still waiting even after request upwards of 45 minutes, just due to our distance.
1: That, and you know, they get the call, we make the call, they have to get their stuff get their starbucks coffee on the way so it does take a while it's not boom they're going to be there in 15 minutes that's
3: why the thought process of early on establishing what we need for resources is excellent you always can cancel when you don't need but it's better to have it
1: right and and doctors at least with what they bring here you said glucose insulin right that's the two biggest things you know paramedics in this area in this response area do carry glucose you know but they do not carry the insulin and the insulin we need on this type of scene specifically to start pushing that potassium back into the cell structure. So they're giving the insulin to kind of mitigate that flood of potassium and myoglobin out into the body once that, that crush injury is released. So that, and the, you know, the, The thought process of this is a trauma doctor coming out, you know, is there a possibility of just amputating the leg because extrication is going to be another eight hours, right? I'm sure that was on the mind of, you know, the doctor and the paramedic on the scene because they're just, the doc's getting a phone call. They don't really know what they're going into at that point either.
3: One other thing we haven't mentioned yet is the need of, you know, whole blood or any form of blood product that may be necessary because... You know, yeah, the leg is cut off, or the leg is inaccessible at the moment. We don't know if, hey, maybe it's it sprung a hemorrhage. Right, and or where,
0: because he said, you know, the, the patient said it, it's, you know, it's being choked off at the femur, you know, is is that pressure that's being applied by, you know, by the wreckage clamping off, you know, a potential arterial bleed? Right. And when the pressure was relieved, you know, would there be a potential massive hemorrhage? So... Um yeah there there were a lot of, there were a lot of th- things going through the head and it was it was a good decision to you know have the the paramedic supervisor go ahead and make that phone call and see if we could uh, see if he could get the uh the physician to the scene which the param- the uh, physician did arrive on scene um but by then the patient had been extricated because of again a, a, a rapidly changing game plan based on, you know, events of what
2: was going on. So, um, in the, at the end of the day, he wasn't the needed. The extrication process changed. Command requested another, a third rescue truck to the scene with more manpower, more equipment. And with that rescue truck arriving on scene, there was a firefighter on that, piece of apparatus that is highly highly experienced and well trained in high mechanism accidents like this and when he came up to the scene he started throwing out some ideas on what to do which then kind of sped up the process of extrication which in turn made it accessible for EMS to apply a tourniquet to the patient's lower extremity and eventually extricate the patient from the vehicle and transport him to the closest appropriate facility for care. So a lot of decisions were made a lot of Manpower was needed at the scene from from both ends, being EMS and fire. There was a lot of communication between EMS and fire, which led to a very very successful extrication process and a very ex- successful turn of yeah. events for the patient and the. Manpower at scene. Yeah, and, and speaking
0: of the extra manpower for EMS, I didn't really talk about the that second uh, ALS ambulance crew that showed up. But you know, one thing we're always thinking about is you know, we're, okay, we're going to extricate the patient. We got to do this. We got to do that. And I don't think we really think. Well, I mean, we do probably in the back of our minds, but you never really think that one of our own is going to be injured doing this stuff, even though it's it's one of the most dangerous things you could do. Uh, and sure enough, uh, one of the firefighters on this call uh, had injured themselves. Um, I believe it was an eye injury. And that second paramedic crew that was there, it was a paramedic and an EMT, uh, they were able to go and treat that, that firefighter while the primary uh, paramedic and The flight crew could stay focused on the entrap patient. They didn't have to divide, you know, resources to go handle another emergency. So it was actually a good thing
3: to have. It's a very much a psychological thing. We're all in the game plan. We're all focused on what needs to be done. The moment, you know, the moment one of us gets hurt, similar to firefighters on a firematic scene, any operations. You know someone gets hurt that's your own it throws you off because you need your you care about the other person you're all there to do the same goal to help the person who is hurt but now when one of you get hurt people get distracted you need that person removed from the scene that way everyone can get focused back to the task that needs to be done it doesn't make them less important but you need everyone's ment- mentation to stay on point
1: and and i agree with all of that um and ultimately you know, Justin had mentioned that the tourniquet was placed in this, that, the other thing. And and ultimately, shortly after, this paramedic is able to give another bicarb, uh, you know, 50 mil equivalents bicarb, uh, IV push at that point. Extrication happens and they get loaded on to air medical and fly to the uh, to the center. Um how long, you know, from start to finish, how long is this, you know, did this take? Basically what ended up happening was the um, uh, enough
0: of the structure got cut away, uh, visual access to the affected ex- extremity was, was gained, and it was determined that a tourniquet could be applied. Um, so uh, the flight medic, uh, who just happened to be the closest, uh, managed to get in. Uh, Place a tourniquet uh, on the leg, and then there was that moment of decision: Do we, you know, the, the the doctor is on his way. Do they stay and wait for the doc to get there to make a final decision, or just go ahead, finish the last cuts, extricate, and go? At this point, you're looking at we were uh, they were over two hours uh, into the extrication process. So a decision was made that they would not wait for the, the physician to arrive, that basically you have an opportunity to extricate the patient. It's been over two hours at this point. Tourniquet's in place. Push that last amp of bicarb. Let's go ahead and, and, and get this guy out. And they did. They, uh, and again, the extrication ended up being on the uh, ditch side rather than the roadside, which was a, a, you know, a game-time decision. It was the last, I think the last critical decision made. Uh, because it was just easier that way. Um, patient was you know, slid a ba- onto a backboard, pulled out, uh, placed onto a stretcher where, of course, the backboard was then removed, um, and then uh, moved to an ambulance where uh, a second uh, line was started with a 16, a uh, second bag of fluid was hung, and uh, the patient was transported to the uh, to the landing zone, put on the helicopter, and... He was on the rooftop. 11 minutes or 12 minutes later, um, uh, right about the time the physician arrived on scene. So uh, it, uh, it again a lot of a lot of critical decision making, uh, a lot of you know, risk reward calculations. Uh, I think it, everyone kind of made the right
3: choices and right decisions
0: uh, on this call, and, and it and it paid off in the end.
3: So two things I want to hover around is we you know we've talked about the whole call now. We haven't talked about how the patient is. How is he just sitting there, you know, laughing and giggling along? What's going on? Is he in pain? If he was in pain, was there any consideration of sedation, whether it would have been versed ketamine or even atomidate? So, patient had no complaint of pain. Uh, he had been complaining
0: of numbness and tingling. Um, when asked, "Does it feel like like it does when you're, you know, like when your your arm goes to sleep or something like that?" and and he concurred and said, "Yeah, it, it's." You know, it's like, it's like you've been sitting on your leg for a while. Which, when you think about it, he, he had a large vehicle sitting on his leg for a while. So, uh, <laughs> you know, no, no shock there. Uh, the only complaint of pain happened after extrication. Once he was in the ambulance, uh, I, I believe the sensation to the upper part of his uh, lower extremity was returning. And then he started feeling the tourniquet doing its job, and he started complaining of some pain there. So, uh, a decision was made, you know, we're going to do pain management, what do we want to do? Uh, so the uh, decision uh, to uh, administer 50 uh, mics of fentanyl, uh, because it was just going to be such a short trip. Um, and he didn't, he wasn't in uh, excruciating pain, it was, you know, he described it as 7 on 10, so... Uh, just a little fentanyl to uh,
3: to take the uh, the edge off, uh, especially for the trip, keep him calm for it. And with curiosity, what kind of tourniquet was used? Was that cat? It was tea? Yeah, Yep.
0: cat tourniquet was used. Um, worked beautifully. It was placed properly, and and it was definitely doing its job. He, uh, there were no distal pulses. Uh, he was not a happy camper once he started getting that sensation back above it, and uh, so. Uh, yeah, it, it, it did what it was supposed to do. Uh, ultimately, he never lost consciousness. Uh, he was alert and oriented the entire time. He was talking the entire time. Uh, he was getting you know a little tired uh, towards the end. Just I think it, everybody was. It was just like you know come on let's let's make this happen. And um, but at the end of the day, uh, believe it or not, no serious injury. Uh, I believe he walked out of the hospital with a ankle sprain was the final uh, diagnosis
3: you gotta love how these vehicles have now changed to have such crumple zones right. where they look devastating and you're able to walk out with your life
0: well, yeah when the uh, when the paramedic first arrived and saw the you know the condition of the vehicle it was described to me as he didn't think that there was going to be anyone alive inside this thing, that he was probably going to find somebody without a head. And to actually have someone that was in there talking, staying awake the entire time,
3: walking away from this thing with a sprained ankle. Plan for the
1: worst, hope for the best and hopefully you land in the middle. Absolutely. So as we're ending, does anybody, Justin, you only spoke like twice this entire time, but does anybody have any questions or thoughts you know, going through as we listen to Gerard's story here. No? Yes? No? Okay.
3: I think I've covered everything I wanted to go through as the discussion's gone.
1: I think you did too. Good questions. And I covered the science, so I think we got it all.
2: The EMT firefighter that was down to the vehicle was pretty much concerned about the same things that the paramedic and other providers on scene were concerned about. Crush injury... The EMT was also uh, absolutely amazed at the way the patient was alert and oriented, the comments the patient was making about wanting to hurry up and get out of the truck because he was tired of being covered in dirt and dust and not wanting to be in that position anymore. So. It was just, it was absolutely amazing to see the condition of the vehicle, and knowing that there was no, there was no fatality. There was a patient that walked, pretty much walked away from this incident. Yeah, absolutely amazing.
0: And one of the things I forgot to mention was, um, so while fire was doing its thing. This was not on a you know, cool fall autumn day, you know, fifty nine degrees Fahrenheit. This was a this was a hot, sticky, nasty day, and these guys are out there in, you know, full bunkers, you know, doing doing extricating work, very hard work under under this thing and around it. And one of the things that the paramedic had mentioned was his concern for their for their well being too. So, you know, he has this this patient that he is you know ultimately concerned about number one but while he was watching the the uh, the fireman underneath uh, again he would you know would be asking them you know hey you know you need water something like that keep keep them hydrated and stuff i remember um hearing about uh, the one emt underneath looking back and not you know looking at the uh, the paramedic and the paramedic making the the water sign and and they're like, oh no, no, I'm am okay, you know. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it's one of those things where you know, you have so much more to think about than just the patient at this point because and, and you're there for so long that yeah, now you start realizing, hey, I got a bunch of guys that could drop on me like a freaking, you know, like a bunch of flies here. So I need to I need to make sure these guys are doing you know the best to keep themselves
3: safe. So so since we're our worst critics. Does that paramedic have anything that he would have thought could have gone different, better, should have been reevaluated that was overlooked?
0: He's definitely gone over it uh, in his head many, many, many times. Um, it's not one that you forget. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where, you, at the end of the day, you, you hey, I, I know what I, I I did the best I could, and and it was. Uh, You know, what was done was done. But you always try to look for, you know, things we we could do better. And honestly, uh, I'm I'm looking at this, and I think from a scene safety standpoint, probably um, jumping in there initially, he probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, He probably should have waited for fire to secure the scene, or at least stabilize the vehicle, uh, because had anything... Anything gone wrong? Uh, from what I understand, he had to lean over the top of the the, the sleeper cab that had ended up parallel uh, and lean into the wreckage to, to put the IV in. So, you know, you're, you're you're on unstabilized ground. You're on unstabilized you know structures. Had anything happened to him um, that now you've got another patient for other people to take care of? Um, You know, at best, at worst, you know, now you've got uh, you've got a bigger problem on your hand, and nobody's getting help from anybody. So,
3: but you did touch on it. It's risk and reward. It's not like we get the most easy scenes to where we can operate safely. There are a lot of things, even with everything going correctly, someone can still get hurt. We got to do what we got to do. There's someone that needs our service provided, and that's what we're there for is to help them.
1: All right, guys. Well, thank you for, uh, for joining me on the inaugural episode here. Uh, till next time, guys. We'll see you in a month. Thank you for taking time
0: to listen to the Medic Materials podcast. If you got anything out of today's episode, be sure to follow the podcast. If you want to be a part of our daily EMS discussions, join the Medic Materials EMS education group on Facebook. And be sure to watch our weekly instructional videos on the Medic Materials YouTube channel.